This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Calculine. The Calculine is a free tool you can get by simply going to calculine.com. That's C-A-L-C-U-L-I-E-N.com, calculine.com. And it's a free tool that allows you to easily calculate the 45 and 90 day deadlines for notice to owners, liens, and bond claims. No more counting on your fingers to figure out when your notice to owner deadline is or when your lien deadline is. Just go to calculine.com, put in your information, and we'll send one to you for free in the mail. You'll get it in a few days. My name is Alex Barthet. I am a board certified construction attorney here in Florida. And today we're going to talk about three easily avoidable lien release mistakes we see clients make all the time and why those mistakes will cost them a lot of money. All right, so what are we gonna talk about today? Um, number one, the first mistake is using the wrong form of release. Uh, number two, mistake number two, not using conditional release language. And mistake number three is using the wrong through date. All right, so let's get right into it. Mistake number one, using the wrong form of release. So let's go over some basic release concepts. I'll show you some release forms, and then we'll talk about what is the right form and the wrong form to use in your situation. Because remember, the release form that you use is dependent on the situation you're in. Are you giving someone a release and getting a check, or are you uh, giving someone a check and getting a release? Those release forms are gonna look different. So. At a high level, it depends on if you're the GC or a sub, and if you're a sub, are you also paying your sub-subs? In that case, you're kind of like a GC. Um, so the general rule that you want to apply is that you want to give someone a narrow release when you get a check, and you want to get a broad release when you give a check. So if I'm a GC and I'm paying my subs, right? So I'm giving a check. I want to get them to release as much of their, of their pos of the possible rights that they have as possible. I want, I want that to be the broadest release possible. The converse is also true. If I happen to be a sub and I'm getting a check, I want to give away the fewest rights possible so that if I want to assert claims later, I haven't given them away. So again, the general rule is if you, you want to give a narrow release when you get a check and you want to get a broad release when you give a check. So we're going to talk about exactly what that looks like in practice. And the best way to do that is to look at the release forms that are found in the lien statute, chapter 713. So let's take a look at the first one that's in the statute. And this is the waiver and release of lien upon progress payment. So this is found right in chapter 713. They give you a form of release and it's very, very simple. You'll notice it doesn't have that many words. And let's take a look at two very specific parts of this release. The first is it says the undersigned in consideration of the sum of blank, right? So here is where you're gonna write the amount of money that you are uh, ideally receiving. So if you're receiving a check, let's say you're expecting a $25,000 check, you want this to say $25,000. And it goes on to say, 
that the lien or hereby waives and releases its lien and right to claim a lien for labor services or materials furnished through, and then it has a blank and you insert a date. That is the through date of the release. So again, a progress or partial release has these two main components, an amount of money through a date uh, certain. Now let's take a look at the final release form. So this is, again is also found in chapter 713. This is the waiver and release of lien upon final payment. And you'll notice that while it has the blank for the amount of money, it does not have a blank for the date that it is applicable through. And the reason is that a final release is, uh, is without a through date is effective on the day you sign it. So when you sign a release that is a final, that doesn't have a through date, you are releasing all of your rights through and including the day you sign the document. So just be very careful and mindful of that fact. So now let's take a look at another release form. Um, now this form, you can tell from the screen, has a lot more words on it. That should already be a red flag that something is different. So let's walk through the different parts of this waiver and release, and I can explain how it's different from the very simple forms that are found in Chapter 713. So this one says the undersigning consideration of the sum of $10. So that's the first sign, right? So this release form that we're looking at, which has a lot more words, is a release that a GC should be asking its subs to sign, because this is a broad release. The, the release forms that are found in the statute that we went through, the partial and final, those are narrow releases. So if you're a sub and you are giving a release and getting a check using those other forms, the ones found in the statute, those are good for you because they're very narrow. They're only giving up lien rights. This one is a good release form for a GC to give to its subs. So if you're a sub and, you're, and you have to sign a release like this, you're giving up a lot more rights and I'm gonna explain why. Now, by the way, this is also a great form of release to use if you're a sub and you're paying your sub subcontractors um, so that you're giving them a check and you're getting a release from your sub subcontractors, you would wanna use this form. Again, you're giving a check and getting a release, so you wanna get a very broad release. So this says $10. That should already be the first red flag that, okay, wait a second, um, something's different here. We'll explain the significance of $10 later. And this release releases all, any and all claims, change orders, works, materials, delays, fees, costs, losses, expenses, damages, or sums um, for the labor, services, or materials furnished to the project. So you'll notice that unlike the other lien release that only released your rights for your lien rights, this one is releasing lots of different rights, change orders, delays, fees, costs, losses. This is a very general release. So when you sign a release that has language like this, you are giving up more than just your lien rights. You're giving up all your rights through the through date. Now this release has a through date as well. Um, so that would be filled in. But also notice that this release goes on to make other statements that the 
um, party that gives you this release wants you to say. So for example, it says, it's, it's saying that the undersigned warrants and represents that it has paid all thumbs due to any and all suppliers, persons, employees, agents, and contractors working under or through it. So now, not only are you saying, I'm releasing all of my rights through a date certain, but I'm warranting that I've paid all my bills. It also goes on to say that you warrant that all of the work and materials supplied by or through you fully comply with the ap applicable contract documents. So again, you'll notice that as you look at a release and it has more words in it than the basic 713 release, it's probably because you're giving up more rights. Um, which again, may not be uh, a problem. You just need to know that you're giving up those rights in exchange for the money that you're getting and the through date of the release. So when do you have to use which form? Um, so if you sign a contract with somebody and that contract has exhibits attached to it that have the sample form releases that you're gonna use, which is pretty common, well, you are signing a contract that says you have to use those forms, and those forms, as a result, are the ones that need to be used to get paid. So you can't go back later and say, wait a second, I want to use the forms that uh, are in Chapter 713. I don't, I don't like your forms. I like those forms better. That doesn't work if you've signed a contract and it says you agree to submit you know, the form releases found in Exhibit Q uh, with every one of your pay requests. So when you, uh, the, the other way that you may find yourself bound to use a form other than the form found in Chapter 713 is if you sign a contract and it has, it may not have the exhibits, but it says something like you agree to use the form that is acceptable to the general contractor. Well, that means that they will present you a form and that's the form that you're going to have to use. So what do you do? You need to negotiate the form of release during your contract negotiations. Before you sign a contract, you need to look through the contract terms and conditions. Are they requiring a specific type of release? Is that release attached as an exhibit? What we recommend clients do is that they include a statement in their contract negotiation. So when they amend the contract, they include a statement that says, the parties agreed to use the forms in Chapter 713 as forms acceptable in exchange for payment, as, as release forms uh, acceptable in, in exchange for payment. So somehow try to incorporate by reference the fact that you can use the Chapter 713 forms. Then you can go back if during the course of the project and say, look, we agreed that I could use the forms that are in Chapter 713. I don't have to use your very one-sided forms. You have to deal with that at the time that you are negotiating the contract. So here's a little pro tip. Um, you can always add exceptions to the releases if you want to carve out any unexecuted change orders or claims. Um, so the release is its own standalone document. So if you go to court and they want to argue that you release certain rights, they will just use that release form. The reason that they, it's a separate document, it's signed by you, it's notarized, um, is because it is its own document. What you have to be careful with, and we, we have 
cases all the time where this is a problem is our client signs a release. It's a broad form of release. They sign it every month and it's releasing all of their rights for changes and claims and delays and back charges and everything. Everything is being released. But in the meantime, they're being asked to do change order work. So um, in January, they do two change orders. In February, they do three change orders. And, and the paperwork is just is not catching up to the work actually being done. So the work is being done. The paperwork to execute the change orders hasn't happened yet. but Every month, the client is signing a release that releases all of their rights to um, changes and claims and, and, and those types of things. If the paperwork catches up, that's great. Then you get a signed change order and, and there's no problem. But if the paperwork doesn't get caught up and you finish the job and those unexecuted change orders um, haven't been signed, and you've signed all those releases that said you've released all of your rights, when it gets in the hands of a lawyer, the first thing the lawyer is gonna do is gonna say, well, wait a second, you have this $100,000 worth of unexecuted change order claims, but every month you were signing releases saying you were releasing all of those rights. So how do you solve that problem? You need to include an exception in your releases every month for the, for the then pending claims and change orders that you have. So if you want to preserve your right to get paid on those unexecuted change orders, claims, delay claims, you have to not only submit the claim consistent with the and change order consistent with the contract, you need to make sure, excuse me, you need to make sure that you exclude those items from your releases. So you're not releasing your rights to them every month when you sign a pay request. And the way you do that is to include an exception. So you would write in um, some releases, by the way, that we see say have a little line that says you release all of your rights except and it has a line for you to fill in. Well, that's where you're supposed to fill in, you know, chain, you know, PCO 11, 14 and 19. Um, if it doesn't have it in the release, then you can go ahead and write it in. This release does not release uh, the undersigned right to PCO 11, 14, and 19. Um, so keep that in mind um, so that you have the right to make the claim later. So that's mistake number one. Let's talk about mistake number two, not using conditional language. A conditional release is a release that is expressly conditioned on payment. Um, so if I am going to give you, if I tell you, which is common, send me a copy of your release. Here's a copy of the check. So that someone scans and emails you a copy of the check and says, okay, we have the check ready for you. Please send us a copy of the release. If you send them a copy of that release and it's not conditioned, meaning you've prepared it, you've signed it, it's notarized, you have the original, but you scan and send them a copy, but it's not conditioned on payment. When they get that release, that release is valid and effective. The fact that you're holding the original means nothing. If, if the subcontractor passes it to the contractor who passes it to the owner, again, not being conditional, and now the owner funds and you never get your money, um, you will have given up your rights because you gave a release that was not conditioned on payment. And the fact that you have an original and they have a copy is insignificant. So 
you always want to use conditional language when you are exchanging a release now for payment later. Now, payment later could mean they're going to mail you a check, but it also could mean that they give you a check, but maybe there's the possibility that it could bounce or they put a stop payment on it. You still want to use conditional release language then. So what does that conditional language look like? It says, notwithstanding anything to the contrary, this waiver and release is conditioned upon and not effective until the undersigned receives paid funds of blank. So if you're expecting a $50,000 check, you would write this into the release and you would put in $50,000. This will make the release conditioned on you actually receiving $50,000 in paid funds. So if we go back to our example, someone scans a $50,000 check and they show it to you um, via email and you have this in your release and you never get the $50,000 check, well, this release is no good. If they hand you a $50,000 check and you have this in the release, this conditional language in the release, and the check comes back NSF, the release is no good because it wasn't in paid funds. So having language like this in every release is very important. Couple of things to be aware of. One, watch out for releases that are titled conditional, but don't actually have the condition in the document. So it may say that the, doc the document may be titled conditional partial release of lien. But when you read the document, there's no condition that it's, condi there's no condition in it that says that it's conditioned on you actually receiving payment. If it just has the title conditional, but it doesn't have conditional language, it is not a conditional release. You need the conditional language. Sometimes we see that and the client gets tricked. Next, you need to make sure to include the amount of money to satisfy the condition. So you cannot have a $10 release that's conditional because if they pay you $10, they've satisfied the condition. So if you're expecting a $25,000 check, the release needs to say in exchange for 25,000. You cannot give a $10 release that is conditional. If you are a general contractor, you need to be very careful about conditional releases from sub-subs or suppliers to your subs, because if you accept a conditional release from your subcontractor supplier and you pay your subcontractor and your subcontractor doesn't pay your supplier, you are now holding a release that is worthless because it's conditioned on them getting paid. Well, what if you paid the sub and the sub didn't pay the vendor? Now you're gonna have to potentially pay twice. So be very careful um, about accepting conditional releases if you're not certain that the uh, person that you're paying is gonna pay the, the sub or the sub sub or the vendor. Now, we have a tool, um, it's called the Make Me Conditional Stamp. It has the language right in it. We give it to you for free. So if you shine your camera at the QR code, it'll take you to a page where you can fill in your information. And I'm happy to send you for free a stamp that you can keep on your desk and you can stamp to your heart's content uh, every release to make sure that it's conditional. We have clients that have this stamp and they, they, even if the release is conditional on its face, they stamp every release just to make sure um, that it is conditioned on actually getting um, the check. So uh, you can follow the QR code or you can go to makemeconditional.com 
fill in the form and we're happy to send you a copy or send you a, uh, a stamp for you to use. All right, mistake number three, using the wrong through date. The through date is the effective date of your release. Here's the most important part. The through date controls over the payment amount. So if you're expecting a $50,000 check and that should get you to the end of the month, so the through date is the end of the month, the amount is 50,000. If you show up to pick up your check and they only have a $30,000 check, even if you write in, in in the spot where it has 50,000, you write in 30, but the through date doesn't change, well, that just means that you've decided to accept $30,000 to release your rights through the through date. So what do you have to do? You need to make sure that the through date and the payment amount match. And if they don't, you either need to change the amount or the date or both. So in my example, you're expecting $50,000, you get there, they're only gonna give you 30. Well, maybe 30 doesn't get you to the end of the month. Maybe it gets you to the 17th of the month. So now the through date of your release needs to be the 17th, not the end of the month. Um, so again, the through date and the dollars have to match, knowing of course that the through date is the most important um, trigger of the release. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by MakeMeConditional.com. You sign lots of releases in order to get paid. And best practices suggest that you make every release conditioned on actually receiving that payment. How do you do that? By making the release conditional. Now, some releases are conditional when they're given to you, but in my experience, most are not. So you can make them conditional by adding conditional language. You can do that by handwriting it in every single time, or you can go to makemeconditional.com and we will provide for you for free a stamp that you can use that will stamp any release with conditional language so that you can simplify the process. So if you want your absolutely free Make Me Conditional stamp, just go to makemeconditional.com, fill in the information, and in a few days, you'll have your free stamp.